Well, good evening. Good to see everybody that's here tonight. Glad to have those who are watching online. Uh, or if you're there on our phone live streaming, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at HBC Tullahoma. YouTube is Highland Baptist uh, Tullahoma, so you can find us there just by searching those on those. Uh, and then our phone live streaming, if you'll call our church office, it's 931-455-0645. We'll be glad to give you that toll-free number that you can call in and listen to uh, on your phone line. And you can listen to that uh, on your phone while you're driving down the road, too. You can set the phone over to the side and or if it goes through your speakers on your car you can listen to it uh, that way too so it's another way that you can listen to the services encourage you while you're there online with us to go to our church website at highlandbaptistchurch.com uh, it's under the link there just a few links over uh, for info uh, that you'll find our worship bulletin you'll also find the children's worship bulletins there uh, you'll uh, find the prayer list there that's there for tonight so be sure to get that downloaded and just as a reminder if you're uh, joining us there and you want to share with us a prayer request please do that on Facebook uh, I'm on Facebook and that's where I'll see uh, any prayer requests that you give to us you can send those to us uh, at the church office uh, by calling us uh, at that phone number you see on your screen there or you can also email us at highlandbaptist.cafes.net or highlandbaptisttullahoma at gmail.com either one of those uh, will work so you can get those there on our website and while you're there on the website be sure to go to the far right hand side click the give online tab a very easy platform there to set up your online giving and just encourage you to take the time to do that don't forget to keep praying for our uh, North American missionaries, uh, Easter has uh, come and gone already. That's hard to believe that we've already gone through Easter uh, this year uh, and Easter being even late this year compared to when it normally is. Uh, so time has really flown. But do continue to pray for those North American missionaries. Uh, we do want to thank you. You're the first ones to hear it that we've surpassed our goal. And so we praise the Lord for that. Uh, we'll let you know the actual amount on Sunday. Uh, but just know we passed our goal and we just praise the Lord uh, for that. And so uh, also uh, just just can, if you want to continue to give, you can. Uh, but just know that we've exceeded that goal. And then also don't forget, uh, if you're here in person, we have the Revelation Prophecy Charts. They're over here on the right-hand side. Uh, you can order those full-color versions from David Jeremiah's ministry uh, at turningpoint.com. Uh, it takes, I believe, about four to six weeks uh, to be able to get those. Someone had asked me about that, but you can have the printed version that we have that gives the basic information of it. His has a little bit more detail on his, but we'll be using this again uh, tonight in our Bible study. And then I think I have one of these left, but we can print more of these of the numbers charts. If you don't have one of those numbers charts, we can be glad to give you uh, one of those just to let you know what numbers, different numbers represent in the book of Revelation and throughout the Bible. So just wanted to remind you of those things. Glad to have you with us tonight. Glad to have everybody here in person. Brother Mike, come and lead us, if you will. Take your hymnals and turn to 227, 227. Praise him, praise him. Ms. Pat?
Thank you, Miss Pat. Thank you, Brother Mike. And hopefully you had a chance there online to get your uh, prayer list uh, downloaded there. Uh, as you're taking a look at it, maybe even now, I encourage you to go ahead and comment those uh, prayer requests uh, that you want to share uh, with us. Uh, as we take a look at some of the newer ones who are on the list, uh, we won't go over all the ones tonight on the list, uh, but uh, the ones who are uh, newer are mostly on our friends uh, and family side. Uh, so uh, we'll just start there and just uh, go over a few. Brenda Brady Holder, who was going to have surgery uh, on her eyes, did not have that. Uh, they're going to be waiting uh, maybe till May, but they're running some more tests uh, on her. So just continue to keep her in your prayers with her eye issues. Uh, Anna Johnson, uh, she has some medical issues. Did she get released from the hospital? She's at NHC. So uh, just continue to keep her uh, in your prayers. Uh, and then Charles Birchfield is another gentleman. He's from uh, First Baptist uh, here in town. Both of these were ones that I was, uh, that I was called on to visit uh, as a chaplain with our police department at the hospital. And so uh, they both asked if we would add them to our prayer list. So keep them both in your prayers. Charles, I believe, is 96 or 98, somewhere there, uh, and uh, just has several medical issues there. And then Charlotte Kirstein's is one that Sandra had asked that we had uh, put on, uh, her and Leanne. Uh, she has several medical issues, uh, had improved some, Sandra, and then we're able to go see her, but she's uh, turned for the worse now. So uh, keep them and that family uh, in your prayers. And then also want to be in prayer for the family of Charles Butch Jackson. Uh, that's Amy Jackson's father-in-law, Eric's dad, uh, who passed away. His uh, service, the visitation, is going to be from 1130 to 1 on Friday over at Kilgore. And then they'll be doing a graveside service. I'll be officiating that at 1.30 over in Summitville when we arrive there. So keep that family uh, in your prayers as he passed away. Uh, Miss Rosalie is doing better. Uh, had talked with uh, her daughter, uh, and uh, things were improving there for her. Linda Hawker-Smith is, is doing well uh, also, even though she's still got some healing to do there and therapy to do with her hand. And then Aaron is doing great. And Christopher was able to be home with us this past weekend. He's doing really good, too. Only time he uses a cane anymore is when he has to walk very long uh, distances. And, so, and then um, Jim Marlowe, keep him in your prayers. Uh, and, and Wade Hall, uh, they were on our prayers. Wade was here uh, this past Sunday for our sunrise service, at least. And so uh, just uh, want to uh, remember them in prayer, but continue to uplift them. Any others that we may need to add to our prayer list? I'm going to flip back over to Facebook. Any others here? And that's her her father. Okay. Okay. So uh, that is Miss Marlene Parker was asking for prayer for her daughter-in-law's uh, father's family. He passed away, uh, and they're, they'll be doing the funeral tomorrow. So keep keep them in your prayers, especially tomorrow. But keep them in your prayers always too. With that, any others that we need to mention? I'm looking there on Facebook. I don't see any there. All right, well, let's go ahead and lift these up in prayer to the Lord then. If you're there on Facebook or YouTube or any of those, be sure to go back over to Facebook to comment. But if you do comment, we'll check at the very end to make sure if there's any that we need to add. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you once again as we can come before your throne of grace. We know that you're a powerful and a mighty God. We know that you're in control of everything around us and, and everything within our lives. Lord, we know that there's nothing that happens that you don't know about or didn't know about before it happened. Nothing caught you by surprise. And so, Father, I pray that as we come before you tonight, 
you knew when we were going to mess up. You knew when we were going to sin. And yet, Lord, we sinned. And Lord, we have to come before you uh, in repentance. We must come before you turning away from that sin uh, and turning to you to follow you faithfully and, and asking your forgiveness by the precious blood of Christ. And we ask that, Lord, tonight, that you will wash us and cleanse us. And Lord, where we have sinned against you, forgive us. And Lord, bring all of those things into the light that we might confess them because we don't want to hold on to any sin in our hearts because we want you to hear every prayer that we pray. Uh, and so, Father, as you forgive us of our sins, as we uplift and intercede on, the, on behalf of these that we have on our prayer list, and maybe others that are uh, on our hearts or other uh, special needs that we may have, maybe even unspoken things, Father, we just uplift them all to you, and we ask for your Holy Spirit to come into our hearts and our lives, to minister to us, to speak the truth of your word to us, to encourage us, to strengthen us. Uh, but, Lord, we just pray that you will answer our prayers in, in a powerful way uh, that they would be used as a testimony of your glory uh, and of your grace and your mercy. Father, we pray on behalf of each one of these because many of these are our physical needs. We ask that you as the great physician will touch them to bring that physical healing to their bodies. Father, we know that you are capable and you're able to bring healing to each and every one of these. And that is what we pray, Lord, and asking uh, that, that as we hear of these testimonies of, of healing that come about, Lord, that we would testify uh, of how you have brought that healing and ultimately can bring the greatest healing to our hearts and our souls, that of the forgiveness of our sin debt as we trust in Christ as our Lord and Savior. So Father, for those who are going through these times, just continue to encourage them, continue to strengthen them, to let them know that you are with them, that you have not left them nor forsaken them, that you will be with them as they're going through these uh, difficult times. Uh, Father, for some, they may still have some ways to go before things get better. Better. And Father, I just pray that as they're uh, going about life's daily journey, whatever that may bring, whatever suffering even or pain it may bring, help them to trust upon you. Help them, Lord, to think on those things that are pure and holy and lovely and true and virtuous and of good report. And Father, I pray that you will strengthen them in their walk with you, uh, that they will be a living witness and testimony to the people around them, to their family members, uh, to the doctors and nurses who are taking care of them. We do pray, God, for your wisdom and discernment for doctors and nurses and caregivers. But, Lord, we know that you're the great physician, and so we just place them into your hands. And, Father, we especially pray for those who have lost loved ones. Send your Holy Spirit, who is the great comforter, to bring comfort to their hearts. And, Father, I pray that in the days ahead that you will just continue to walk with those families, continue to draw them closer to you. And, Father, I pray that through uh, the tragedies of death, that you will use it to bring glory to your name uh, by bringing people uh, to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Lord, lead us tonight as we study your word and your truth. I pray that as we break the bread of your word, uh, may it nourish our hearts and our souls. Father, I pray that uh, you'll just encourage us even tonight here in the book of Revelation in chapter 7. Father, I pray that uh, even though we may be sometimes in the midst of the storm, to know that there can be peace even when everything seems to be chaos all around us. So teach us some of that tonight through your word. And Father, I pray that you'll make your word plain and clear and truthful to us, uh, that we may make the application even of this passage in Revelation to our hearts and to our lives even today. So Father, we pray and ask for that blessing, the blessing of the reading of your word here in Revelation, the blessing of the hearing of your word, and the blessing of the keeping of your word. May you bless us in those ways uh, as we read it, as we hear it, and as we keep it. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. All right, well, take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 7. And as you're turning there, let me share with you again uh, that we do have those cards. I uh, have just one with me tonight, but we'll be glad to print more of those. Uh, it's just a click of a button and a piece of paper. <laughs> That's all it takes. Uh, so we'll gladly print those. But if you have this with you tonight, you'll notice those pictures on the screen. Uh, we have completed this section, uh, the first section here with the letters uh, to the seven churches. Uh, and, and we're in this section of the seven seals. Uh, we have actually only gone through 
the first six seals, and we'll see that as we get into this chapter again tonight, and a reminder of that, because there's kind of an interval. So you'll notice uh, between number six and number seven, it says interval 144,000 sealed. That's where we're at tonight in Revelation chapter seven. Uh, we're gonna be getting into when the seventh seal opens, that leads to the first trumpet and you'll have the seven trumpets. You'll have six of them in succession, and then we'll have another interlude, and then we'll have the seventh trumpet, and that will lead uh, into the seven bowls, and then you'll get to the seventh bowl, and then we'll continue on uh, with your chart that you see. So you have three different sections, the seven seals, then you'll see the seven trumpets on the next picture, uh, and, and you'll see uh, all seven of those. You see the uh, counterfeit trinity uh, that's there also, the seven bowls. And then we finish with the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ, the great white throne judgment, and the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, so as you're there in Revelation chapter 7, uh, let me just say this. If you know me, you know I love weather. Uh, I, I, I have... Someone's asked me before, how many weather apps you have? I have about 30 on my iPad, a little bit less than that on my phone. <laughs> and I don't look at all of them all the time when weather comes, but I have some favorites that I look at. I love to chase storms, uh, especially out in the Midwest. I love to chase uh, out there where you can see for long, long distances and stay a long ways uh, from the storms, especially uh, the tornadoes. You know, sometimes we, we look at those who forecast the news and we think, do they even know what they're doing? <laughs> they're just flipping a coin today and saying this is what's going to happen. You know, uh, someone wrote a poem about a man who learned how to handle the weather, and it goes like this, if I can say it correctly. Whether the weather be good or whether the weather be not, whether the weather be cold or the weather be hot, whatever the weather, the weather weathered the weather, whether he liked it or not. <laughs> So, in the encyclopedia, there are some interesting facts about cyclones. And from, from day to day, even on the earth, uh, all across the, the world, uh, there are great masses of air that are moving from one place to another. It's kind of like when you're in a lake uh, or the ocean uh, or a deep tub or a pool. You can take your hands and do like this in the water, and you'll see water swirling. Well, that's kind of what's happening all up in the atmosphere, all around this world. There's different weather patterns, different weather masses, uh, great masses of air that are moving from one place to another. And, and some of those wind systems are high barometric pressure. That tends to, to bring us dry weather. Uh, and it's those low barometric pressure systems that bring us the rain or, or even bring us storm. And from time to time, the winds begin to circulate around those low pressure centers uh, in, a, in a clockwise or a counterclockwise direction. And with that tremendous force uh, that results in rain, uh, lifts those clouds so high that it gets into that frozen atmosphere and those, those liquid drops begin to come together. And sometimes they form uh, balls of ice called hail. Some of those can be really huge as more of those collect together and it creates high winds. And, and the rapid rotation of that wind is known as a cyclone. And cyclones take various forms. Uh, a cyclone can be as huge as a hurricane or a typhoon if you talk about them in the Pacific. Uh, in, in the plain states and here in the south, uh, they form tornadoes, which are on a smaller scale. Uh, so if you were to look at a tornado, it really is just a microcosm, uh, if you will, of what the larger uh, of, a, of a hurricane is, and there, but being that a tornado is very unpredictable, uh, where hurricanes, you can watch them for long periods of time because they move very slow because they're so big. If you've ever been around a tornado, though, you know how, what a terribly frightening thing it can be. One of the most powerful tornadoes uh, to ever hit Tennessee was back in 1998, uh, when the only uh, registered EF5 tornado hit Lawrence County. Did you know that? In fact, there used to be several others, I believe three others prior to this one, that were classified as EF tornadoes, but the weather uh, meteorologists uh, did not feel like later, uh, because all of those happened before this scale was developed, 
that those really met the criteria of an EF5. But it was in Middle Tennessee on April the 16th, 1998. This is the 24th anniversary this last week of the tornado outbreak. Uh, that cons consisted of more than 20 supercell storms, 10 confirmed tornadoes that struck the area. And we've seen more tornadoes than that at one time before in storms. But Nashville was hit with three tornadoes uh, that day, one that was rated an EF3, one to, two that were rated EF2. And it was the first time in 65 years that a twister had struck downtown Nashville. Uh, downtown Nashville and all of that that happened there got all the attention uh, in, in the state news and the national news. But after those three hit there, there was the EF5 that hit Lawrence County. I believe it was on the ground for about 35 miles. Uh, it was more of a rural area, but fortunately nobody was killed uh, in that. Uh, and when, when tornadoes reach that EF5 scale, on, on the EF scale, it means that those wind speeds have reached speeds of 260 miles per hour to 318 miles per hour. And only in recent years have they decided to come up with a, another scale to be an EF6, uh, which is even beyond the EF5. Uh, F, EF5s are, are tremendously and incredibly violent. But if you could somehow climb up to the top of one of those tornadoes, or even like you may see the, the hurricane hunters that go in those big airplanes from the Air Force uh, to go into hurricanes, they'll, they'll go into this center of the storm uh, where it's just peaceful and it's calm. Same thing's happening at the top of that tornado. Uh, like a hurricane, you have that calm area at the center of that cyclone that's called the eye of the storm, the eye of the, of the hurricane or the eye of that tornado. Well, chapter 7 is for us the eye of God's storm. Because in chapter 6, we saw the judgment winds of God blowing on the earth, and it was horrendous to see the things that we saw happening uh, in those verses. And, and, and the four horsemen, if you remember, uh, of the apocalypse, they're running wild, stampeding over the earth, crushing everything that gets in their path. Uh, with the opening of the sixth seal, we saw the world uh, that's falling apart. Uh, God has turned out the lights on the sun. You read in, in that verse that the stars are falling uh, from their orbits. Millionaires and kings are, are running, looking for a place to hide. They go to the mountains, they go to the rocks, and they're even crying out to them rather than the creator uh, of the mountains and the rocks. And so as you move to chapter 7, what would you expect to read next? And he came and opened the seventh seal. That's what you'd expect. They just finished opening the sixth one in chapter 6. When you move to chapter 7, you'd expect that opening of the seventh seal. But it's not opened until chapter 8. So if you were to leave out chapter 7 altogether, you would have a smooth transition from chapter 6 into chapter 8 with that opening of the seventh seal. And that's because chapter 7 is what we call a parenthetical chapter. You're going to hear that over and over several times as we go through the book of Revelation because you'll read about all of these events happen and then there'll be a stop, a pause, if you will, to give us some information. In fact, when you use parentheses in the English language, you use it to enclose incidental or supplemental information or maybe comments uh, that are served there to clarify or to illustrate. And that's what we see here in a parenthetical chapter. Chapter 7 is a parenthesis. It's a preview of things to come. So as terrible as the tragedies of the Great Tribulation uh, break loose upon the earth, there are two groups of people in whom God takes a special interest. One group is going to be sealed, while the other group is going to be saved. Uh, we're going to see that the sealing of one group and the saving of the other group is directly due to the sovereignty of God. And so that's what I want you to see in the very first verse here, God's great sovereignty in verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. That shows us in that verse the sovereignty of God. Now, you're going to find that the number four 
is mentioned, this is where we get back to some of those numbers that are on that chart, the number four is mentioned four times in these first three verses. Now remember, what's the number four represent? If you have your chart, you can see it. The number four is the number of the earth, the number of the world. Uh, you remember that, that the phrase four corners is simply an expression uh, which means the four points of a compass, the north, the south, the east, the west. Uh, you see that God sends four angels down on this earth, uh, north, south, east, and west, to hold back the winds from blowing upon the earth. So you get the image that chapter 6 is this great huge cyclone that's happening, this great huge storm, and God sends four angels to the four corners of the earth to stop the winds. Let's stop everything for just a moment. Could you imagine that? In the middle of a hurricane, in the middle of a tornado, poof, it just stops. That's it, no wind. The angels are holding it back. That's what we see happening here. Because these, this, these winds represent the wrath of God. In, in chapter 6, we just saw the beginning of God's wrath. But an even greater storm is coming than what we saw in chapter 6. Chapter 6 is what Jesus calls, over in Matthew's gospel, the beginning of sorrows. That's just the beginning. You thought it was bad in chapter 6. That's just the tip of the iceberg, if you will. The world is now braced for this great tribulation uh, called in chapter 6 and verse 17, the great day of their wrath or his wrath. But before all this, God sends these four angels to hold back these mighty winds because he wants John to understand something, wants us as the readers to understand something. Because wind in the Bible is oftentimes a symbol of God's judgment and the wrath of God. Uh, Job chapter 1 and verse 19, if you remember uh, the things that happened to Job, it says in Job 1, 19, And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck, the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young people and they are dead and I alone have escaped to tell you. That's what that servant came to tell Job. Uh, so get that picture there. The great wind struck the four corners of the house. Then again you read in Jeremiah chapter 49 and verse 36 and I will bring upon Elam the four winds from the four quarters of heaven and I will scatter them to all those winds and there shall be no nation to which those driven out of Elam shall not come. And so the wind represents and is a symbol of God's wrath and God's judgment on the earth. So God sends these restraining angels to temporarily, if you will, to temporarily dam up the rivers or the winds of his judgment and to bring a peace before the big storm that's about to come. But this is not the peace, uh, understand, of human diplomacy. Rather, it's the peace of divine sovereignty. It's the sovereignty of God, not of the power of man that hold back these winds. So it's nothing of our own doing. It's because of God's sovereignty. And for me, the sovereignty of God, in my estimation, is one of the bedrocks of theology. You know, this is a time to remember that in this passage here, that when hell is having its holiday, the devil and his demons are overrunning the earth. Uh, but in this day of calamity and ca catastrophe and confusion, one of the things we're going to be reminded here is that God is is on his throne. He is in total control. So when you read chapter 6, you might have thought, where in the world is God? Why is all this happening? And he's not rescuing people, uh, intervening uh, for people to save them. Well, we see that God is on his throne and he's totally in control because the Bible clearly teaches that nothing on this earth happens unless God causes it or God allows it. Because God is sovereign over his entire creation. And so think about it. If anything could come to pass apart from the sovereign will or the sovereign permission of God, then whatever caused that to happen would have more authority and more power than God himself. And if there's any part of creation outside of the sovereignty of God then that says that God isn't completely sovereign. There's something bigger than him. If God isn't sovereign, then God isn't God. 
And there are some people uh, today even who think of God as, as some absentee deity. He created this earth, put us on this earth, and, and put everything on automatic pilot. And he's asleep at the wheel. He doesn't care or he doesn't know what's happening. Uh, in other words, we're at the mercy of fate. Uh, if, if something good happens, it's good luck. If something bad happens, it's bad luck. We're just subject to the whims of nature. Well, the Bible teaches a far different picture. The Bible teaches that where man proposes, God disposes. Nothing or no one can frustrate the sovereign plan of our great God. God never has to worry about, is my plan going to work out? Is this going to come to pass the way I want it to? Nothing or no one can, can disrupt the sovereign plan and power of our great God. So even in the middle of a time, such as this great tribulation, we can confidently sing things like, have faith in God, he's on his throne. Have faith in God, he watches o'er his own. What? He cannot fail, he must prevail. Have faith in God, have faith in God. Even in the midst of the storm, even in the great tribulation, we see the great sovereignty of God. Secondly, we see God's mysterious seal. Uh, you're going to see that in verse 2 and verse 3 here. So why does God hold back the winds of his judgment? Why does he suspend his, his wrath in favor of his mercy? It's because there are some special people who need to be sealed from the wrath that is to come. And we're going to see that in verse 2 and verse 3. So God sends an angel from the east, his sunrise angel. The phrase that we're going to see east there literally means rising of the sun, an angel of mercy to seal the servants of God. Now that raises two very vital questions. What is the seal? Well, let's look at verse 2, if you will. Then I saw another angel, so he had sent four already, this is a fifth, so he sends another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels that had been given power to harm earth and sea. So get the picture here. In olden times, uh, a king had a signet ring and a ring, it was a ring with a sign. And so whatever a king wanted to, whenever he wanted to put a decision into effect, he, he would have a document prepared spelling out what he, he wanted to do. Uh, he would then melt some wax and, and he would put that ring into the wax and then he would seal that document with the sign of that ring. And that seal was the sign of his authority and his sovereignty. It's kind of like what we read about in the New Testament. We just got through celebrating Easter where Jesus was, was buried in the tomb. The stone was rolled into the tomb and they put a seal over the tomb. So they put a wax seal around. They stamped it with the Caesar's uh, signature there. And that meant that if anybody touches this, if anybody moves this, it's by edict of the Caesar. You're not to mess with it under penalty of death. And so that's what we see here. The seal was a sign of his authority and sovereignty. Another example of that is found in Esther, Esther chapter 8 and verse 8. Uh, it says this, But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and seal it with the king's ring. Uh, for an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. That's when uh, those individuals had come to the king to get him <coughs> to say that, that the Jews could be put to death. Uh, and, and so they were writing this edict up, and he said, you can write it up, you can seal it with the king's seal. A seal was a sign of authority and a sovereignty of the king. A seal was also the sign of possession, because anything that contained the king's seal belonged to the king. So this seal was a sign that these people that we're reading about in verse 2, were, they belonged to God. God always has had a way through the ages of marking his people. You know, so often when we think of Revelation, one of the things we think about when you think about marks is the mark of the beast. But we need to understand there's the mark of God also. 
and so what we see the mark of the beast is as a counterfeit of the mark of God. Uh, God has always had a way through the ages of marking his people. He marked Abraham uh, and his generations by the rite of circumcision. Uh, in the days of the Passover, the children of Israel, they were marked by the blood uh, that was over the doorposts. And, and so all of those were signs, these people belong to me. In Ezekiel 9, 1 through 7, we're told of a man clothed in linen with an inkhorn at his side. And it says, then he cried in my ears with a loud voice saying, bring near the executioners of the city, each with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the direction of the upper gate, which faces north, each with his weapon for slaughter in his hand. And with them as was a man clothed in linen with a writing case at his waist. And they went in and stood beside the bronze altar. Now the glory of the God uh, of Israel had gone up from the cherub on which it rested to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed in linen who had the writing case at his waist. And the Lord said to him, pass through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. And to, uh, to the others, he said in my hearing, pass through the city after him and strike. Your eye shall not spare and you shall show no pity. Kill old men outright, young men and maidens, little children and women, but touch no one whom is the mark. And begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the elders who were before the house. Then he said to them, defile the house and fill the courts with the slain. Go out. So they went out and struck in the city. So in that passage you read there about those who had been marked uh, in this vision that Ezekiel was seeing. Those who would be marked and they would be spared. The rest would not. Uh, this man was compared, com commanded to go through Jerusalem. Uh, and, and to put a mark on the forehead of those who were loyal. Uh, and so these people were sealed. They were marked, showing that they are God's special possession. That's what we see here in verse 2. This angel uh, here that, that has the seal of the living God, uh, who calls with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given the power uh, over heaven and, and the sea. Well, the seal is also a sign of protection. Because ownership assumes the responsibility of protection. So God is also saying here that he's taking full responsibility for the protection of these people, his servants. It's a sign of power because a, a seal is only effective to the extent that the one standing behind the seal has the power to execute it. So this seal tells us that behind these servants lies the protective power of God. It's a visible seal. It's not a hidden seal. Because it, we're told there in verse 3, he says, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God. Where? On their foreheads. Where will the mark of the beast be? On the foreheads. So there's going to be marks, two marks, either the mark of God or the mark of the Antichrist, the mark of the beast. And so what is this seal, though? Uh, we're going to see, uh, if you read over to, to the book of Revelation, you know, we don't have to wonder what this seal is. What is it that he's going to mark our heads with? We know what the seal of the Antichrist is, the seal of the beast. What is it? 666. What is the seal of God? Well, Revelation 14 verse 1 tells us exactly what that seal is. Because it says in Revelation 14 1, Then I looked and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him, as we're going to see here in verse 4 in a moment, 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. The seal of the name is the name of our God, our heavenly Father. So the Lamb's name, Jesus, and the Father's name, God, Jehovah, is there on the foreheads. And that is all the protection that the righteous need. Because Proverbs 18 verse 10 tells us that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. And the righteous man runs into it and is safe. So we learn there what the seal is. But who are these servants? Who is this 144,000 that we're going to see? Today, there are several groups going around today claiming that they're the 144,000, or at least that the 144,000 are going to come from their particular group. Uh, let's notice what verse 4 says. He says, And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 
Uh, as we said, there are groups today uh, who, you may know some of them, who go door to door uh, claiming that they're one of the 144,000, uh, their, their leadership are going to make up the 144,000. And whenever one of those groups tells you that, that they're one of the 144,000, one of the simple questions you ought to ask is, well, which tribe are you from? Because what does it say in verse 4? It says, these are the 144,000 sealed where from? From every tribe of the sons of Israel. So they are from the tribes of Israel. Uh, we don't have to wonder who these servants are, of God are. We're told who they are. And that's what it goes on to describe and to tell us in verse 5 down through verse 8. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben. 12,000 from the tribe of Gad. 12,000 from the tribe of Asher. 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali. 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh. 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, and 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. If you add all those 12,000s up, you come up to the 144,000. These are those who tell, there are those who tell us that we know these are of the tribes of, of Israel, but there are those who tell us today that these 144,000 are Jewish evangelists who are going to go around the world and preach the gospel. And that may very well be possible. You may hear that as you hear uh, different ones speak about uh, the book of Revelation and the end times, but we're never explicitly told anywhere uh, in the book of the Revelation that. Uh, we're not told what they do. We're simply told who they are. Uh, the key to understanding what God is telling us here is to remember how are numbers used in the book of Revelation. Now, we know that numbers are used symbolically in this book. Twelve, for example, is God's governmental number. Uh, there are 12 months in the year, uh, which shows that God controls time. There are 12 signs of the zodiac, which shows that God controls space. And we mean by the, by the zodiac stars in the, in the sky. Uh, it symbolizes God's rule and God's sovereignty. But 12 is also used in the Bible to symbolize and refer to the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel had 12 tribes. On the breastplate of the high priest were 12 precious stones representing those 12 tribes. On the table of showbread uh, in the tabernacle, there were 12 loaves of bread. In the great city that we're going to read about later in Revelation, the New Jerusalem, how many gates are there? 12 gates. And each one of those gates is, is written on it the name of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. 144 is simply 12 doubled. This represents the rule and the sovereignty of God over his people, the nation of Israel. But we have this number, 144,000. How do we get to that? Well, the number 10 is the number of completeness. Uh, the, a complete set of hands has 10 fingers. A complete set of feet has 10 toes. The law was given to us in 10 commandments. 1,000 is simply the number 10 tripled. I believe 144,000 is a symbolic reference to the entire and complete nation of Israel and God's rule over that nation. So in other words, what we're being taught in these verses is simply this, is that God isn't through with the Jewish nation. The Jews still have a place and still have a purpose in the plan of God. Now, is salvation through Jesus Christ by faith in him alone? Exactly. That doesn't change. But there are some who believe that God is finished with the nation of Israel already. But all you have to do is to look up to the sun and the moon and the stars, and you know that that's not true because the Bible says in Jeremiah 31 and verse 35 and verse 36, it says, Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roars, the Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. How important is that? That is telling us there that the nation of Israel, and understand this, the sun, the moon, the stars, those things will cease to exist, he's saying, before the nation of Israel will cease to exist before God. 
So just to speak on the mystery and the miracle of the nation of Israel would take another entire message in itself and even more. But suffice it to say, God, uh, that, that Israel is still God's chosen people. And there have been many plans in the last 4,000 years uh, which have resulted in the slaughter of millions of Jews. But the reason why they're still a people and after 2,000 years, once again, a nation is because they're still God's covenant people. God made an unconditional promise in Jeremiah 31.10 that he is even in the process of keeping today. Hear the word of the Lord, old nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. You know, there have been races uh, upon this earth that have been entirely annihilated through the centuries. Uh, you think about the Mayan people even. Uh, entire civilizations that have been lost in ancient times, but not the Jews. The Jews have persisted all the way through. Now, the Antichrist will gather the greatest army seen in the history of the world, all for the one single purpose that we're going to see later here uh, of annihilating the nation of Israel. But the Lord Jesus will return at the Battle of Armageddon, rescue his people, and they will look upon him as the one who was pierced for their sins. And all Israel, we're told in the book of Romans, will be saved. Romans eleven twenty six says, and in this way, all Israel will be saved, as is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. He's not done with the Jewish people yet. That's what this 144,000 is all about. But I want you to see God's precious salvation. Because in verse 9 and following, we leave the people who are sealed... We're going to come back to them later because we've already referenced another place in Revelation chapter 14 where we come back to them again. So we're going to come back to them later. But now we see people who are saved. The thing this reminds us of is that when, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. The world's greatest revival is going to take place during this time known as the Great Tribulation. Not only will it be a time of great rebellion, but it will also be a time of great revival when the gospel is preached all around the world and untold numbers are saved. Now, now who are these people who come to know Christ during this Great Tribulation? Let's read verse 9 to begin with. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude, that no one could number. Now think about that in relation to what we just read about the nation of Israel. There was a number associated with the nation of Israel, the 144,000. But he says this multitude cannot be numbered. No one could number it. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands. So uh, we're going to see this, this great time of untold numbers being saved. So who are these people who come to know Christ during this great tribulation? Well, notice their unmistakable identity. We read verse 9 there. Uh, we're told that they're a vast group, but who are they? Uh, well, that very question was asked of John when you read down to verse 13. One of the elders addressed me, one of the elders that were there addressed John and said in verse 13, who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? Well, the answer is given to us when you read the next verse in verse 14. I said to him, John does, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are the tribulation saints Christians who went through the great tribulation and gave their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the same group that's described in Revelation 6 and verse 9 that we read of before. They are the souls of those in verse 9 that says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. 
And, and so these are, are those tribulation saints, those Christians who refuse to take the mark of the beast. Their blood is going to flow like a mighty river, but it's going to be an everlasting testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice first their number. It can be numbered, verse 9 tells us. Jesus said there's going to be more people, uh, that there'd be more people in hell than there would be in heaven. But I'm afraid so often we get the idea that there won't be many people in heaven. Uh, here we're told that just the number of people who are in heaven that were killed during the tribulation were so great that nobody could number them. Uh, I wonder about those who say, well, I don't like big churches. <laughs> going to be big church when we get to heaven. <laughs> if worship is good with a hundred, it's going to be great with a thousand. If it's great with a thousand, it's going to be better with five thousand. I believe the bigger and the better, the more the merrier. Notice also the nationality, as verse 9 says. There are two things that we as the church in America need to realize. First of all, America doesn't have a monopoly on Christianity. It used to be uh, that, that the Christian light shined the brightest in America, but that's no longer true because today the fires of revival are shining much more brightly and burning much more hotly in places like Africa and Korea and South America and even in China. Uh, someone has once said, while America has been put to sleep by the chloroform of humanism and materialism, other nations are greatly awakened to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice he said there uh, that these are from all tribes and peoples and, and languages. Uh, Christianity no longer has a monopoly uh, on America. We've never been in the classic sense of the term a Christian nation where Christianity was the official religion. Uh, but I can surely say that we've never been further away from being a Christian nation than we are right now. Uh, this verse also tells us that the gospel is going to be heard throughout the entire world. That's what even Jesus said over in Matthew 24, 14. He said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to the nations, and then will the end come. And we see here the results of the gospel being preached to the four corners of the earth. Notice their nature. Uh, they are, as verse 9 says there, they are before the Lamb. They are clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands. That robes refers to their purity. White in the Bible is the color of purity. The palm branches refer to the praise and, and, and reminds us of when Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem uh, on that triumphal entry and, and they, they waved palm branches. They spread palm branches before him, waved palm branches in the air, crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then we're going to see their unhindered vitality in verse 10 to verse 12. It says, And crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. Just get the picture here. There's shouts of praise that rock the walls of heaven as these saints praise God for their salvation. And their worship is so contagious. Notice what happens with the angels there in verse 11 and verse 12. They get in uh, on the act. Uh, they're saying amen, blessing, verse 12, and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. What a worship service this is going to be. There they are. They're standing. They're shouting. They're singing. They're waving palm branches to praise and glory and, and adoration. To me, that's a picture of unbridled, unhindered, real worship. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been, in, been to a dull worship service? Let me tell you this. You haven't because there's no such thing as a dull worship service. If it's dull, it's not worship. Real worship is exciting. Real worship is stimulating. Real worship is refreshing. Real worship is invigorating. Uh, you know, think about this. Have you ever just gotten so excited about the Lord, you've just gotten caught up in worship and caught up in, in praise and glory that you just felt like shouting? I believe real worship ought to make you feel like shouting. I heard about an elderly couple that uh, wanted to take a ride in a private plane, but they just felt like uh, the charge per person was just too much. Uh, it was $50 a person back in that day, and they began to argue uh, about it because this tightwad husband didn't want to go, uh, but the wife wanted to spend the money and have a good time, and they argued about it, and the arguing began to get on the pilot's nerves, and finally he offered them a deal. He said, look, you're getting on my nerves, and this is ridiculous. He said, I'll take you up for free, but you've got to promise not to say one single word during this trip. 
I mean, if you say one word, you're going to have to pay me $100. Well, the pilot wanted to teach this tightwad husband a lesson, and, and plus he wanted to make the $100. And so when he took off, uh, he began to do the most dangerous stunts that he could think of. He was doing loop-the-loops. He was doing figure eights. He was doing straight dives, all of that. But one, not one word was spoken. When the plane landed, he said, well, the trip is it's yours for free. He said, I thought for sure I'd get a sound out of you, but he said, I didn't. The old man looked at him and said, well, you almost won because I for sure felt like shouting when mama fell out. <laughs> when you get to thinking about how Jesus came to this earth, how he died for us, how he saved us, how he filled us with his Holy Spirit, how he's preparing for us a home in heaven, even as I preach this sermon tonight, it makes you just feel like shouting praise the Lord. What an unending activity that's going to go on, though. It's not just going to be shouting and praising the Lord. There's going to be serving, which is in the present tense in verse 15. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And who sits, he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. So notice there, they're going to continually serve God day and night. There's going to be no shift work in heaven. There's going to be no vacations, no retirements, no coffee breaks. You're going to serve the Lord forever and ever. There are some who think that heaven's a place where you're going to uh, have a halo on your head, sit on a fluffy cow, play a harp, eat grapes, and all the time uh, be, be fanned by an angel. But that's not heaven. Heaven's a place where you're going to serve God. In the Old Testament, only the priests and the Levites could serve God. But in heaven, every Christian can and will serve God. And, and so you may be rusty and you may be reluctant, but understand this. You better get ready. You're going to serve God. I praise the Lord that there aren't going to be any backseat Sunday morning Christians in heaven who sit and soak and sour. Everyone's going to serve God in heaven. Someone asked Charles Haddon Spurgeon, and I'll finish with this, on one occasion what he wanted to do when he got to heaven. And Spurgeon used to say that when he got to heaven, he wanted to stand at the corner of one of the streets and proclaim to the angels the old, old story of Jesus and his love. What a day that's going to be. We'll pick up with verse 16 the next time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your word and for your truth tonight. And Father, I pray that uh, as we have seen tonight, what a great day that's going to be in heaven. A praising and, and singing praises. Lord, it's going to be big church there. There's going to be millions upon millions throughout the ages who have trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior who are going to be gathered around that throne. So, Lord, help us to realize we're not just going to be off in some corner, quiet land place there in heaven. We're going to be there in the masses of every tongue and every tribe and every nation praising your name. So help us to do that even here now, to go ahead and practice here. Lord, I pray that we will express ourselves in worship and get ready for that great day where we will express ourselves in worship. Father, I pray that you will be glorified and honored in the here and now, not only as we worship with our mouths and our lips, but as we worship with our hands and our feet in service to you until that day comes. Lord, encourage us that even when things are bad around us, in the midst of the storm, you're still on the throne. In the midst of all that chaos, there is peace to be found in your presence. And Father, I pray that we'll draw close to you when we find ourselves in the middle of a storm. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us uh, online there. Uh, any requests that you saw? Okay. So Al Pender said pray for him. He's not in his home yet. Uh, so just keep him in your prayer that everything will uh, continue to go well there. Uh, glad to have you, though, with us tonight. We'll see you Sunday morning, uh, 9.15 for Sunday School, 10.30 for Worship Online, uh, as well as on our phone live streaming. You have a blessed week, and we'll see you then.